The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. It is not to get the kids to college. It is not to build our financial security. It's not to acquire all the goods of this world and to enjoy them in in health and in old age. We are on a journey into a place of the, the perfect expression and the perfect experience of you, your presence. And you, Lord, must carry us there. And as we walk this path, we constantly bump into the day of trouble because we still live in the flesh in this fallen world. And we call upon You and ask You, save, help. So Father, I thank You for Your promise here that we can call upon You and You will deliver and gain much glory from that. I thank You for that, but I, I pray, Father, that You would help us this morning. That in some way, moving through this text by Your Spirit here in this room, that You would help us, that You would turn us to be a people who call. To be a people who turn towards You in the day of trouble and say, God, God, my Savior, come and help. Rather than be a people who look at the world and, and either take to it ourselves or run from it. God, we are dependent upon You. And, and so I ask You, would You come and would You be in our midst here this morning and make us to be a people with a Godward focus bent after You and turned towards You. You are God Most High. You are not to be added into life, as Charlie already prayed. You are the One who reigns over life. And our lives are to be bent towards You, eyes fixed on You. But we are not like that by nature. God help us. And I pray, speak through Your Word this morning and produce some change along those lines. Whatever is particularly needed in each person's life and heart, produce some change. Speak, we ask You. Give power to Your Word. Give clarity to my words that I could accurately share with Your people what You have for them. Be in our midst here this morning and glorify the Lord Jesus and bless your people, I pray. And it is in His name I offer this. Amen. This morning we turn our attention to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Moving through the book of Deuteronomy, we are coming to the end of this book and we are, this has been one long day on the plains of Moab. Thanks to Jordan River. We're coming to the end of this day finally. You'll recall this whole book has taken place on, on one day, really. A, a pause between the, the conquering of the land that's already happened, but the great conquering of the land that is yet to come. God's carried the people as He promised He would. He has carried them out of bondage in Egypt, carried them through the wilderness, given them some land, and then has put them... And pause, a, a moment to stop and to think and to consider. They've renewed the covenant. We've seen that. 
And now he's pointing them, lifting up their eyes and pointing them again at the land and talking again about the coming conquest. And in doing so, he's reviewing material, revisiting material that was in the first couple chapters. So we're, we're kind of in the, the back end, book end. Some material that he's already discussed is coming up again here as he's kind of closing things out. And as he does that, he's pointing them toward this land of rest. Promising them that he's going to carry them into it. And the key issue here in our passage this morning is, I might underline the word, he. The the subject this morning is the presence of God. The presence of God that is where they are headed. The land of rest is about the presence of God. The presence of God that's how they're going to get there. He's going to carry them in. This is all about God's presence this morning. And so my, my hope is that what would happen today is that He would turn us as a people, and maybe you individually in a new way, that He would turn us towards Him. And as we come to Him, that He would give you in your heart some different, some deeper taste of His rest. That's what His presence is about. Rest. Heart. Rest. Something we all need, and He means to give it to His people. That's my prayer for this morning, that He would draw us to Him and give us rest in Him by growing in us trust of Him. So we're going to be going this morning. Let me read the whole passage. This is all of Deuteronomy chapter 31. I'm going to pass back through it. I'm going to read such a long chapter like this. There are a number of details. I'm going to try to highlight the, the most important ones and then make a couple of observations from it. Deuteronomy Chapter 31. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God Himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as He did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when He destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that He will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people. 
men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children, who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in the pillar of cloud. And the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day and I will forsake them and hide my face from them and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done because they have turned to other gods. Now therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness. For it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. And the Lord commissioned Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking Him to anger through the works of your hands. Deuteronomy 31. This chapter is made up of several conversations that at first don't quite seem to fit together. They seem to be along two distinct lines, but they do fit together, as we'll see shortly. Verses 1 to 8, the first conversation, Moses speaking, and he's speaking in the presence of all the people. It says this a couple times. All the people are gathered there, and he's talking to them, and his subject is the imminent crossing of the Jordan and the conquering of the land. The question is, who will go before us? Who will lead us? And Moses says in verse 2, not me. As God has already said, 
I'm not allowed to go over, and I'm going to die. But, verse 3, the Lord Himself, the Lord God Himself will go over before you. Emphasis on Him. He will. And then what follows is, is a repeated emphasis on what God will do. He Himself will go before you, and He will destroy the enemies. In verse 4, He will do to them what He did to Sihon and Og. He will destroy them. Five, the Lord will give them over to you. Six, the Lord your God goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. That's what he says to the people. And then in the presence of the people, speaking to Joshua, the Lord goes before you. The Lord will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. This is about God. Again and again and again and again and again. God going before. God with and God doing which does not eliminate the need for them to go and for them to do. Because as you follow through there, almost as many times as God's going to do something, it follows right behind it so that you can. Verse 3, for instance, The Lord goes before you, He will destroy them, so that you shall dispossess them. Verse 5, The Lord will give them over, and you shall do to them what I command. He's going... And you are too. He's acting so that you can. So this does not eliminate their responsibility to act. It empowers it. This, this is essentially, God's going to say this repeatedly in this whole process. It, it's sort of like God saying, as he's going to say about the Jordan River, I'm going to part the flooded Jordan River as you put your foot in it. Not before. He's going to say that. As you put your foot in it, I'll part the river. I will tear down the walls of Jericho when you walk around them seven times and blow the trumpet. Where's the power coming from? Obviously, it's not the sound waves of the trumpet knocking the walls down. It's God doing it. But they have to. I will cause the spear in your hand to pierce the armor of your enemy when you go into battle, stand before him, and thrust it. When you do that. I will do it. You will do it. He's calling them to something. It's the presence of God that empowers and enables them to then act, them to fight, them to move ahead and take. And then he switches to the second conversation, 9 to 13. Moses now talking to the priests and to the elders, and he switches subjects too, which it appears is not related, not even in time. Now, okay, now looking down the road quite a bit, when you're in the land, Moses writes down all this law, gets it all written down, and says, here's what you are to do with this. Watch the details here. Every seven years, in the year of release, we've talked about this before in past chapters, but every seven years there would be a release of debt, a release of slaves, a returning of, of different things that had been loaned and borrowed. In the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, or booths, which is a feast, a celebration, that's commemorating God's presence with them in the wilderness as He walked with them 40 years and tabernacled with them. That means lived among them. In the year of release, at this feast celebrating God's presence, gathered in God's presence at the place where He, where he will choose. Talked about that before also. He was going to choose a place where He would uniquely be among them. And when you're at that place, celebrating His presence and experiencing His release, Read the Word of God to everybody in the nation. 
Who's going to be there? Every man, woman, and child. And every foreigner, every sojourner. Read it to them all. Don't separate the kids out and send them off to kids' church. Bring them in and set them next to their parents and read the Word of God to the adults and the kids. Now, surely the kids, surely the kids are going to ask mom and dad, what does that mean? That's a complicated word. What is that about? What does he mean when he says, surely they'll ask and surely mom and dad will explain. But the whole point is they will experience at least twice in their upbringing, they will experience the people of God sitting under the Word of God. Towards what end? Middle verse 12. That they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. And be careful to do all the words that He commands. And and to underline, He says it again in verse 13. That these little ones here who have not known, underline the children again, that these little ones who have not known may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in this land. What's the point? They would hear the Word in this unique setting. They would hear it and learn to fear the Lord. Connection to the previous passage. Do not fear them. Do not be in dread of them, the enemies that you face. Trust me. How will they learn to trust Him? Fear Him. Remember, biblically, fear is not terror and cringing and... It's reverence and awe. It is, it is a mind fixedness. A focus so that this thing that you fear is the thing that controls how you act and think. Let's fear the Lord. Don't fear them. Hear the word of the Lord and learn to fear me. To the connection. Then he switches to the third conversation in verses 14 to 23 where now the Lord Himself is the speaker. And He gathers together just two guys. Moses and Joshua, come to the tent of meeting. That is the place where God meets with these two guys. The tent of meeting between God and man. And he comes, and the cloud comes. Remember, God in the wilderness wandering was a a pillar of cloud in day and a pillar of fire at night. This is the pillar of the cloud. They can see him. It's the presence of God. Comes to the tent of meeting, and it says, comes into the tent, and comes to the door of the tent. Everybody's watching this. Moses and Joshua walk in there and God comes and parks out front and walks in. The presence of God with these two key leaders. And he says, a bad news. And he gets right to the bad news. Though I have said I would be present with them in this conquest, and though I have set up a way for them to regularly experience my presence, They are going to reject my presence. Verse 16. They will break my covenant. They will forsake me. And so 17, I will forsake them. I will leave them. And when all this trouble comes upon them and they realize it's because the Lord is no longer among us, I will hide my face from them. He forsakes. Drops them. And lets them go because of all of the evil they have done in breaking His covenant and turning away from them and stirring up His anger against them. But you, however, Joshua, son of Nun, verse 23, be strong and courageous because I will be with you 
And I will use you to bring them into the land. And the next conversation, then 24 and following, it is again Moses talking to the priests and Levites, again about the book of the law. And now the book of the law is not the tool that will grow the fear of the Lord in this generation. It's the witness against this generation that the following folks will see and read. One or the other. We either stir people to fear Him or condemn them. That's the chapter. Some things bridge into the next chapter. It mentions the Song of Moses, which we'll cover next time. That's all of chapter 32. So some material at the end I'll pick up later. But the focus of this chapter, it's about the land of promised rest and the presence of God. So I'm going to elaborate on a, on a couple things here and then kind of tie it together at the end. Let me move right immediately to my first main observation here. What does God want from us? Here's a, a statement that expresses that. Trust your present God and fight against sin. State that again and then explain how I get it. Trust your present God and fight against sin, or positively speaking, for rest. It's good to state the positive as well because it's not just, this life is not just a battle against stuff. It's also for things. We are fighting to experience the rest of God, which is to say we are fighting against sin that would take us away from that and kill us. Verses 1 to 8 set the stage for a great fight. And here in the context, obviously it's a physical battle. It's a war. It's an invasion of a, of a land and a conquering of a land. A coming into a place and taking it where, ideally, the people would then live in the presence of God, experiencing His blessing. And for long past, He had promised them, I'm going to give you this place, and I will give you the prosperity of the land. I will give you, most pointedly, me. Living right in the middle. I'll protect your borders. I'll pour out rain. I'll pour out sun. It'll be a land of milk and honey. It'll be good. In the middle of it all will be me. That's the land of promise. The land of rest. And He's going to give it to them. How? Well, verses 6 and 8 and 23. Be strong and courageous and go get it. Because you are bigger and badder than they are. No. I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm saying that to underline something. Obviously, you read that and you know it doesn't say that. We think that, though, all the time. This is so fundamental and so obvious and so foreign to us. Be strong and courageous because me. Is that not the clear connection? Be strong and courageous because I will go with you. Because me. I go and I fight this battle. I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Therefore, stand up and go forward. Do not fear them. Fear me. The rest of God is right out there for you to have if you will go get it. And the way you will get it is that I will give it to you. 
This is the rest of God given by the power of God to His people as they trust Him and fight. That's obviously what's going on here, which we can take then and turn because we still have a fight. We're not engaged in a physical battle against flesh and blood. We're not. We know that. But we are still engaged in a fight, and we are still on a fight to conquer, to to attain something. Hebrews 4 helps us with this. Hebrews 4 points out that, I won't won't go into this in great depth, but Hebrews 4 kind of opens a little window to us that when we look at the journey into the land and the taking of this land of rest, that that's not actually what God was ultimately pointing to. There is a greater rest beyond Canaan. And we are on a journey to it. People of God. We are on a journey to that land of rest. Do you see your life like that? It is so easy to get your your life just kind of shrunk down and focused on today's tasks and and next week's and next month's agendas. You need to find a job and school's coming up. Get that doctor appointment. And you see a bigger picture. We, you, we are on a journey to somewhere to something, a unique, precious, more profound than human words can describe, and certainly than my human words can describe, an experience of the presence of God in a new heaven, in a new earth, forever and ever and ever and ever. The rest. It is marvelous. Set your mind on it. And he's given a little bit of that now. I mean, look at the picture here. He's given them some of the land and they are paused here. The big things across the river. That's, that's where we are. He's given some already, but we're paused here and the big thing is yet to come. But he's given some. He's given some access to him right now already. Some experience of his presence right now already. Some rest with him right now already. But none of this is is a peaceful existence. It is a war. You realize that too. It does not come as we sit back, lazy, soaking it all in. If we sit back and soak it all in, what comes upon you? The enemy of your soul crouches like a lion at the door, seeking ways to attack and devour you. He's there. That's what comes if you sit back. There is a war. There is a battle to be fought. It's waged in just the same way that this physical battle way back then was waged. It is waged in just the same way. Oh God. You are with me and you will not forsake me. And therefore, with you with me and not forsaking me, I need not fear that enemy, whatever it is. Sometimes it's a physical enemy, spiritual enemy. 
And it's a thought or a concept or a fear, a temptation perhaps. I need not fear, that is, I need not be controlled by, dominated by, and live in reaction to this enemy. You with me. You giving me strength. Therefore I can say no to this and yes to you. You are the one who satisfies my heart. You fill, you fill me on the inside. You give me power to fight against this. So that when this thing offers me and entices me and lures me, that's, that's what the battle is about. The battle is about offering and enticing and luring you a way to strike you. When it offers and entices and lures, I can say no to it. I have Him. I am satisfied in Him. This is what the New Testament does with this very passage. Jot down Hebrews 13.5. Depending on what English translation you have, Hebrews 13.5 will either say it's quoting from this passage or it will say it's quoting from Joshua chapter 1 because it's the same thing. It repeats this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. A lot of us had that verse memorized, but maybe you realize you don't have the whole verse memorized. The verse starts with, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. This is the battle. Keep your money. The world is going to say, what you need is money. What you need is this thing, this trinket, this financial security, this money that can buy you pleasure. This money will satisfy your heart. What you need is keep your lives free from that love of money. Say, no, fight that. Be content with what you have, for He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you see what the book of Hebrews does with this? Be content with what you have, because you have Him. Say no to this and be content with what you have. You have what you need. The presence of God with you gives you power to fight this sin and to fight for the rest of God. To say, I have Him. My heart is at rest. Not discontent and looking for more. Ooh, maybe I can find that in the pleasures of the world. This battle is fought in just the same way. You trust your present God. You set your heart on Him, your hope in Him, and say no the sin and the temptation, the lies and the fears. So Christian, He is with you. He is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Which is an awesome blessing. And at the simple heart level, it should encourage you to say, I am walking through a journey. I'm living a life of of one more day or a hundred more days or fifty more years, I am walking a journey with God at my side and actually with God before me. God living in me. God trailing behind me. And He has it all in His hands. And by His power, He will conquer. I must walk into it in faith. Not fearing them, fearing Him. Godward in focus. Fixed on Him. It should be an encouragement to you. It should give you hope. Until perhaps you read verses 16 and 17. Look at verses 16 and 17 again. 
where God expressly states that he will leave them and forsake them. Hmm. He says, they are going to sin. And my anger, verse 17, then my anger will be kindled against them in that day and I will forsake them and hide my face from them. Uh Uh-oh. I sin. You have broken His covenant more times than you know. Here's the law of God. And from A to Z we break it. You should have no other gods before me. Does that apply to this, just this minute? Or it's a little more broad than that because I'm in trouble if it's broad. I have had other gods. So have you. We are lawbreakers. What do we do with this? Uh-oh. Is God going back on His Word here? We need to stop for a minute and think about this. Before we move on directly and do what I was doing, and before we grab this, God's with me, that's good news for me, that's comforting and encouraging. Before we move on and apply that directly, we need to reckon with 16 and 17. And what happens, I think, as we reckon with it is perhaps it stirs repentance in you, and I think it should stir even more worship and thankfulness in you. Because where we are right here in salvation history is important to note. What does he say here? I'm with them. I'm going to carry them into the land. But as he has repeatedly said, they must follow. And if they turn away, if they break this covenant, I will call to them, I will discipline them, I will beseech them, but eventually I will say, curse. He said that again and again, right? That's what he's getting at here. I will carry them in. I will put them in this land of blessing and I will pour out abundance on them. But if they walk this path, I will call them, I will correct them, but eventually curse. My anger will be stirred and there will be trouble. He's consistent with what he's always said. What does that mean for us? Well, that depends on where you stand. It depends on where you personally, individually stand. You need to pause and think about this. The good news is that in the gospel, the presence of God has been secured. In a different way, secured, unlike this passage. So the question is, do you stand in the gospel or not? What happens in the Gospel? In the Gospel, when God's anger is stirred, my anger will be kindled against them in that day and I will forsake them. What happens in the Gospel is that God the Father sends God the Son to earth to take on a body to go to the tree of cursing and be forsaken. My anger is kindled against sin and against law-breaking, and I will forsake. And Jesus says, I will step into the place of the forsaken ones and be forsaken myself. I will take the anger, absorb it all, and quench it 
That's the message of the gospel, which is not a program to be performed. It is a message about what God has done to be believed. There is something profound going on here. God came to be among His people. You can read this story and connect to the Hebrews 4 when He says to Joshua, You shall put them in possession of it. Verse 7. When He comes back to Joshua at the end in 23, I will be with you. Joshua comes out of this with a unique feeling, I will go at the head of the people and I will carry them into the rest. Remarkably, there is a new and better Joshua. By the same name, in fact. This Jesus actually does carry people into the promised rest. And on the cross provides a way provides a a way for this problem that Joshua is going to look at and weep over, provides a way for that problem to be dealt with. That the people would turn away, and Joshua just has to say, well, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know about you. But the new Joshua can say, I can do something about that. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come. I could go into that further and probably clear up a few things, but there's something marvelous there. That in the Gospel, in Jesus, God has done something new and has secured for you, Christian, His presence. Which means that if you're not a Christian, if you don't stand in the Gospel, you will never experience the presence of God, never experience His rest unless you come. and Embrace Him by faith. But Christian... This this should be good news to you. Because what we were saying earlier actually is true even though you sin. Even though you break God's commandment. His anger is quenched. He is with you. Will give you an experience of His rest right now. Can be trusted. And will carry you all the way through to the fullness of His rest. I think that this should stir in you delight. I I know that what I'm talking about, maybe not in all the same words, I know that what I'm talking about is, is familiar to many of us. But what my hope is, is that I talk about this and maybe present it in a slightly different way, that it strikes you in a slightly different way and stirs in you some some hope some delight, and you experience even right now a little bit of the rest of God. So be encouraged. He is with you. Because you stand in the Gospel, because you stand in Christ, He will never, ever forsake you. Interestingly, the I will not forsake you here gets changed in Hebrews 13.5 to never. Emphatically in Greek, stated twice, I will never I will never forsake. I will never leave. It's interesting. He's with you. He will never leave you. 
It means for you to know that so that you can experience with Him a, a Godward life, a, a mind that is set on Him, that finds delight in Him. But here's the problem. I'm talking about this, and a lot of us know it. I mean, maybe in different words, maybe you express it a little bit differently. You might not have thought of all the particular little angles, but essentially what I'm talking about, you know. If you're a Christian, you know this. But when the battle comes, it seemingly flies right out the window. And what grabs your mind, that, that when the preacher was talking and you were thinking about, hopefully, not daydreaming, but hopefully thinking about this God who is so good to give you rest and be with you, that what happens immediately is that this Godward focus immediately becomes a worldward focus. And these things, the temptations and the trials, control what you're thinking about. Control your emotions and therefore control your behaviors. This gets left in the category of stuff I officially know, but never apply. Is that you? Yes, it is you. Maybe not all the time. I pray not all the time. It's not me all the time, but it's me a lot of the time. And where I notice it is... Maybe not always in particular behaviors of sin. I notice it in my attitudes. Maybe you notice it in your attitudes because on the outside you're you're kind of a self-controlled person like I am. A behavior-controlled person at least. Particularly when you're amongst other Christians. Clamp down on even tighter. But what's going on inside is something else. Do not fear them. Do not be in dread of them. That's the stuff that controls my heart far too frequently. What about you? Is that the stuff that controls your heart? In other words, is that the stuff you fear, biblically speaking? I'm not saying you have to be be quaking at it, but if that's what your thinking is about, if that's what's driving your action, that's what you fear. You know, you shouldn't, but you do. God is so gracious. Knowing this problem in us as people, He gives us something to help overcome it. That's the second observation, which is going to be shorter than the first one. Second observation. God gives His Word to help us experience His presence. And grow in Godward focus. I could just take all those latter words out and put in, God gives us His Word to grow us in fear. Biblical fear. I've got to keep underlining that because I know people misunderstand that. God gives us His Word to grow in us an attachment to Him. To fix our minds on Him. To give us an experience of Him and a taste of His presence so that we will be more tightly fastened here and less inclined to be drawn over to here. The problem that we face is that we know far more than we can actually apply. And so God actually has a way to change us in here. That's what verses 9 to 13 are about. 
I'm going to create a very particular environment with all this layering. And we should note that. Environment is important. We should note the people of God gathered together. That would create quite an impression. The people of God experiencing the joy of release from debt, release from captivity. The people of God recalling God's past grace displayed right here in this little booth that I just built and I'm living in right now. So they would do at the, at the Feast of Booths. This reminds me of something. This reminds me of all the stories about how God carried us and fed us. And we met with Him. We lived with Him for 40 years. And here we are at the temple where we are in God's presence. There's an environment there that's important. But at the heart of it, what He's talking about right here at the heart of it is, read to them the Word of God. That they may hear it and learn to fear me and keep my commandments. That they may hear it and not that they may hear it and know what they're supposed to do. That they would hear it and learn to fear me and then obedience. The Word of God, <laughs> oh, there is goodness in God in doing this. We, we need to have a change. Maybe you personally, we as, a, as a, a culture, maybe our church too, we need to have a change of how we see the Bible. The Word of God is not, first and foremost, a collection of stuff for you to do. God does not intend to give you a book that fuels idolatry. What I mean by that, God does not intend to give you a book with the intention of, here's what you are to do so that you go out and do it and say, there, I have done it. Now I am good. I have read what I was supposed to do and I did it. Now I am good. That is not God's intention. God does not fuel idolatry like that. The, the idol of you. He has a book with stuff to do, and the point is, you don't do it. You can't do it. But look at me in it. This book, first and foremost, is about showing you God. It is about, first and foremost, revealing someone to us. We see Him in His requirements. We particularly see him from one cover to the other in a grand display of a great big plan. The journey that you are now a part of. The journey that starts in Eden and ends up in the new Eden. The new heaven and the new earth. There is a big picture And through it all is this thread of I will be their God and they will be my people. And I will dwell with them and never leave them and never forsake them. All initiated and all accomplished by God. This is intended to reveal what God is up to and how He is getting it done. Charlie's prayer was apt. We had not talked about that. 
This is not God helping me run my life as a co-pilot. It is a revelation of what God as the pilot is doing and where He's taking the plane. And oh, the blessing of being allowed to ride on it. As we see that unfold before us, and particularly as we unfold that before our kids, as we see that unfolded before us, something happens in us. This is a supernatural, spiritual work. God rises in your esteem. God rises in your focus. Godward thinking grows. The fear of the Lord grows. And you begin to realize that if I have this one, if I have this one, this is the one I have? He has made it so that I have this one? What have I on earth that I desire? It doesn't hold anything here. And what is there on earth that's actually a threat to this one whom I have? This is a marvelous, gracious gift from God to us. A revelation of the eternal one. Put in English so that you can read it. That is amazing. Do you read it? I mean, do you read it consistently? I might step on a little, a little few toes here, but I am not talking about our daily bread. That doesn't count. That can be a helpful supplement. That is not exposing yourself to the grand plan of God revealed in His Word. That's a little bit like there being in the other room a Thanksgiving feast spread before some people and on the way to the backyard I pass through and I grab a deviled egg. And on the way back through I, I snitch a little bit of the, the turkey. And then later I go into the fridge and with a spoon grab some of the cranberry sauce. That's not a meal. I, I suppose that if you did that frequently enough it could sustain you, but that is not feasting. He lays something out here. And by hearing it, the fear of the Lord will grow in you. And when that grows, the fear of the Lord grows in you, it cuts off the fear of all this other stuff, which is how you are empowered to fight against its temptation and its lures. The tool He has given us. The Scriptures. Do you regularly, deeply expose yourself to them? And particularly, the thing that's underlined here, your kids. Those of you who are parents. Your kids. Your kids can't live on bread alone either. They need to hear every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And they need to hear it from a young age. They need to hear it before they know what they're hearing. Now, as I say this, 
And I say this, somebody asked me yesterday, do you have regular family devotions every day? And my answer was, no. Do I aspire to more? Yes. Do we do it every day? No. I don't want to pretend to set some, some bar up here that, you know, and portrayed as if I attain to it. I'm in process just like you are. We are far better at this than we were two, three, four years ago. Far better. Far better at regular family devotional times and far better at Deuteronomy chapter 6 type things as you were going out and as you were coming in and as you were standing up and as you were lying down. Talk about these things. Far better at both those than they were. Are we perfect? By no means. But there does seem to be an emphasis, does there not? Kids there too in 13, that their children, and we could even move ahead to the song, which I haven't touched on and won't, it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. The kids will hear this. God will speak to them in it. We ourselves must feast on the Word of God and we must feed it to them too. They need it. So is it your habit? And is your connection to the church, this body of people, is your connection here Word-centered? Because that's what we need each other for as well. I'll say this, and I, and I don't mean, I said it before once in, uh, in the congregational meeting, I think. I didn't qualify it, so it sounded kind of mean. I don't, I don't mean to be mean, but I'm going to say it this way to underline something. You and I, I, we don't have a church because we need more friends. God didn't create a church so that we could have more friends. Or easy connections to other golf buddies or, or people to drink coffee with. He made a church and drew people together so that we could commune with each other over the Word. Now that takes a hundred different ways and I'm not opposed to having friends and playing golf with people. This is, I need to qualify this so that it doesn't sound mean. I'm friends with many of you. I'm not against that. Okay? That's not the point of the church. It's not a social club. It's, it's a word-based community that with one another breaks open the Scriptures and does what we can to help one another hear them. Hear them apply to the particular needs that, brother, as I know you, I see you need this. And you need to hear God's Word there. That you may learn to fear Him in this and obey Him. And likewise, back to me. So the church has to be about. I mean, we use, we use words, we could use words like discipleship, which is different than Bible study. Bible study can be a part of discipleship. Bible study can also be just about acquiring more information that never actually gets into you and changes you and becomes another piece on the stuff I know but don't apply shelf. We need to become a people like this. 
And how gracious it is of God to give this to us and make it possible. God communicates His presence to us in His Word so that we can hear Him and fear Him and grow more in the experience of His presence. It's a cycle here, is there not? God shows Himself to us so we can see more of Him. It's a good thing. Is it your habit? God intends to give rest to His people. And He's given us His Word to help in that. God intends to give you rest. And He has given you His Word to help you in that. Take Him up on it. Let me pray. Father, we move towards communion now and we, we, we have this, this brief ceremony here where all the people of God are gathered together to experience some of the release of God and to be reminded of how it is that You have come to commune with us. We have just heard Your Word. So I pray at this point now, would You do particular works in particular people to grow in them the fear of You. Maybe as I take the the little juice in hand and remember the cross. Maybe as they contemplate their need to attend to the Bible and repent of their inattention to it. Whatever, Lord, I pray, meet with individual, meet with men and meet with women and meet with boys and meet with girls right now and communicate some taste of Yourself to them and draw them towards You. Grow in them the fear of You. And weaken the fear of everything else. We thank You for Your cross that we celebrate now. We thank You for Your Word. We proclaim and listen to, and I pray give grace that we would hear you in it. Thank you for your goodness to us. We're grateful. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.